Hi everyone, so I'm delighted today to be joined by a household name, the BBC, an organisation which exists to enrich people's lives with great programmes and services that inform, educate and entertain. But do you know what is on offer for you STEM students at the BBC? Well, today we'll find out a little bit more. So the BBC and Gradcracker have worked together for a number of years now. They advertise their placement and graduate opportunities with us and also their degree apprenticeships. So let's find out about the BBC from the people who are in the know and meet the panel. I have got the pleasure of introducing you to Mark Smith, who is the Schemes and Assessments Manager. Um, so Mark is also a really, really good friend of mine, um, and I'm really looking forward to introducing you, the panel, and the, um, and the attendees to Mark. So Mark, firstly tell me about BBC as an organisation. Absolutely, yeah, it's great for you to, to host us again, uh, Carla, this year. Um, so at the BBC, um, we're coming up to being 100 years old. So uh, again, there's a huge um, piece of work that the BBC are doing at the moment for, for 2022, as, as the BBC is nearly 100 years old as an organisation. Um, it truly is an organisation that, that is for everybody um, across the whole of the UK. Opportunities that we're supporting as a recruitment team this year go as far up as Shetland and Orkney, down to the Channel Islands, across into Northern Ireland, Wales, into Scotland, and all across England. Um, we're specifically focusing on our grad schemes and our STEM opportunities with you and, and with Greta Cracker today. Um, but it's a huge, you know, huge opportunity for me to, to promote the BBC as a whole. Um, and again, the uh, new DG, uh, Tim Davey, has announced fantastic plans for, for early careers over the next five years at the BBC. Um, so it's just really exciting for us to be able to sort of share. Do you know what? Some of the schemes that maybe don't get as much uh, as much love, really, you know, we're known for our flagship journalism programmes and the production programmes. But how often do we get to talk about what it's like to work in broadcasting or software engineering or working in research and development? And, and with my uh, colleagues today, we're going to be able to tell you about some of the things that maybe we don't share as often um, yeah. with, with the students that want to hear about it. So I'm excited about today. Yeah. Yeah, so am I, because I think you just hit the nail on the head there, Mark. People know about, you know, BBC as like the journalism arm and everything else. But I mean, you do some fantastic things like broadcast engineering, software engineering, research and development. And the panel today are going to really go into a lot of detail about their roles, what they do and um, the future that you could also have as attendees at the BBC. Um, so, Mark, give the audience a bit of an idea about your role within the BBC and um, if the students who are applying will get to meet you um, as part of the application process. Yeah, so my role at the BBC is I'm the Schemes and Assessments Manager. So anybody who joins the BBC on a scheme that we look after, whether that be apprenticeship schemes, graduate programmes, placements, um, it's me and my team that look after the recruitment and attraction for those campaigns. So if you're seeing and following us on social media at the moment, that's the stuff that my team do for BBC Get In and BBC Careers and on LinkedIn. Um, we look after the websites, all the careers website stuff that you see for, for us right the way through to we design your assessment process. So the application form that you're going to complete, the questions that you have to answer, the experience that you have with the line managers when they're interviewing you and the questions and the assessments that you're going to do. Yeah. And that's all led through my team and the people that I work with. Um, so we really do take you from the first click when you click and see I want to apply for the BBC right the way through to when your job offer comes through to you and you sign that and, and join on your first day. So that's the journey that we look, we look after really um, yeah. as the early careers team. I definitely have to give a shout out to um, Rachel Marx. So Rachel's watching this webinar behind the scenes and Rachel's on Max um, Max team and she's been working her little socks off, hasn't she, to mm -hmm. make sure the hub's up to date with, with our team at Gradcracker. We've got lots of really cool content on the BBC hub on Gradcracker as well, which I'll share with you a little bit later um, on in the, in the webinar. Um, so Matt, just to let everybody know, the applications are now open, aren't they, to, to all of your schemes. You wanted to touch upon some of the staff dates and um, particularly for the R&D software and broadcast engineering schemes because they, they might be a little bit different. Yeah so we've done a few different things this year with our start dates and um, we do have our traditional start date for September 2021 yeah. um, and you'll see um, a start date for um, majority of the schemes that we're talking about today for software R&D um, and some of the broadcast schemes. Um, but we've also got a couple of additional start dates. So for the Software Engineering Graduate Programme, we actually are going to have a start date uh, in September, but we're also going to take a second cohort for March. 
2022. So when you complete the application process for software, you will actually get to pick um, in the question, which is your preferred start date. Yeah. Um, so there, there is an option for March if March suits people better. Um, uh, the couple of other roles that we have, some of the roles this year, we're also pitching into January 2022. Um, and if you see the January 2022 start date um, and you've got any questions, it's just that you can ask us uh, about that uh, via, via our social channels or anything else if you've got any questions. But again, it links really into the BBC Centenary. So we're doing a huge push for um, 2022 to, to welcome as many uh, piece people into our new talent programs as possible in our 100th year. So yeah. we've, we've sort of tactically moved some of our start dates into 2022 as well. Um, yeah. And equally, it should mean that we're more of us are back in an office rather than working from home, um, yeah. which is another good reason to move them back a little bit. Um, yeah. But like I say, there is still quite a lot happening for September. Um, but yeah, if there's any uh, sort of questions about, you know, different start dates, things like that, that's why we've, we've moved the, the start dates around a little bit. Yeah, fantastic. So you've got really great plans for next year. What what else is happening next year, Mark? In when you're celebrating your hundred years, what what else have you got in store um, at the BBC that you can share with us? I mean, there's huge projects. So there's actually a BBC Centenary board at the moment that are coming up with some really exciting work, and yeah. that those guys are going to be releasing the BBC Academy that look after a lot of the training development programs that we do. They look after things like BBC Young Reporter and BBC STEM and those kinds of activities, and they're going to be launching a load of activities. I was talking to the guys at Radio One that again they're going virtual. They're doing virtual Big Weekend this year, but I think that from next year you're going to have um, Big Weekend again, and I'm sure there'll be a bit of flavour around 100 years of the BBC from Radio One. I mean, Radio One are, are probably one of the biggest youth brands um, that the yeah. BBC has outside BBC Three. Um, it's not all about Radio One. I'll be told off if I just talk about Radio One. <laughs> they do some really cool stuff as well. Um, yeah as as well and uh, again you've got growth across uh, the digital platform so you'll see some new things um through bbc sounds you'll see things through your iplayer so again there's a lot of stuff that's under wraps i guess at the moment because the project teams are still delivering stuff yeah. and i guess um we're sort of working out what next year will look like a little bit but it's a it's going to be an exciting time um to be at the bbc in its 100th year i mean uh, what an exciting time to join an organization as you know with the history that the bbc has yeah, definitely. Well, I bet you're going to have a massive party as well. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Imagine getting everybody yeah. together. That feels so strange right now, but uh, it'd be lovely if we could, wouldn't it? Me and Jessica come in. Yeah, <laughs> get your invites in the post, Mark. Um, right, so before we move on to the grads, obviously we've spoken about the um, the positions that are open for STEM students. For, from your experience, Mark, and I know we've worked together for years and years and years, but why specifically to the BBC is it so important for you to recruit from a STEM background? Do you know what? It's really interesting. I get asked this question a lot about, um, you know, the, the STEM opportunities at the BBC and sort of where it fits in the world, the world that we that we work in. And you start to think, you think, well, what's going on in the market at the moment? Who's out there? Who else? Other, you know, it's strange, strange to talk about other people other than us. But who's out there? Who's doing stuff yeah. that the BBC are known to do? You mm -hmm. know, Amazon are pretty big in the, in the world of sort of, uh, online entertainment and sort of the, you know their channels you've got we're competing with Netflix now we're complete competing with you know the Disney the Disney platforms again as well I'm thinking, hang on a minute BBC iPlayer was around there a long long time ago and it's sort of I think for a while it was sort of thought of as that catch-up service and you go and catch up if you miss something yeah. and we're actually you know it's sort of the the future of uh, BBC programming you'll have seen um, sort of Britbox that the BBC and ITV are doing at the moment um, when I joined the BBC, I started to do a bit of a, a walk around the buildings and started to say, well, what's happening in here? And, and what, how, how do we get, you know, the content that we're creating out to the consumers and the customers and license fee payers? How does it actually get there? Yeah. Largely through the work of our technical teams, our design teams, our engineering teams, broadcasting teams. We can create some of the best content in the world. But if you can't broadcast it to anybody and you can't get it out into the world, yeah. um, what, you know, it sort of takes away from the creation of it in the first place. Yeah. So these, these um, tech and engineering and design schemes are hugely valuable to us, particularly around things like user experience and what audiences are looking for. And, you know, are we creating stuff that people want? Are we getting it to them in the way that they're going to consume it? Yeah. Um, what's the future of linear uh, television and the future of radio? Um, and we see huge growth in things like audio and BBC. You know, BBC Sounds has come straight out of the fact how people yeah. want to consume their their audio 
Mm -hmm. um, and you'll see the growth of, you know, platforms like BritBox and, and, and some of the changes that people have seen on, on BBC iPlayer in the way that uh, actually it's not a catch-up service anymore. It's a streaming service. It's, uh, yeah. it's right out there. Yeah. Um, and I think in order for people to be able to interact with the BBC, these teams are absolutely essential, you know. Yeah. We're going to be broadcasting things, you know, the Olympic Games and, you know, the Olympic Games all being broadcast and, you know, when we broadcast football and things like that, it's actually now huge amounts of digital audience. It's not, people aren't generally, you know, people are still watching it on the TV, but huge amounts of what people are watching it on their phone through BBC apps and through, you know, through, through um, catch-up services and through other things. And um, it's not possible without the digital engineering technology and broadcasting teams. It's just yeah. not possible without them. Yeah. Oh, perfect. That's a really good introduction now to meet the graduate. I was just thinking, Mark, when I was just looking at your little face, I, I remember when telly was just like three channels and now you're talking about all these different channels and everything else. Blows my mind. And um, Mark, thank you very much for the introduction. What we're going to do now is meet the other panellists. Um, so everybody used Gradcracker extensively during their job search and researched the BBC through the company hub on Gradcracker. Now, Ian, I'm going to start with you. Could you introduce yourself to the audience, um, where you studied at university and what you studied? Hi, I'm Ian and I studied at Strathclyde University in Glasgow. Yeah. I studied a mixture of electrical engineering and computer science and that was under a computer and electronic systems course. Fantastic, thank you Ian. On to you Sebastian. Uh, yeah, hello, uh, I'm Sebastian. I uh, studied physics at the University of Manchester um, and somehow went from spending several years sitting in labs playing with lasers to uh, developing new tech for the BBC. So I'm currently on the uh, BBC R&D graduate scheme. Okay. Playing with lasers sounds a bit scary. And Sarah? Hi, um, yeah, I studied at Leeds Beckett University and I studied music technology, um, even though now I'm on the software engineering grad scheme, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> This is, this is what's really interesting though, isn't it, Jess? We speak to a lot of students and they might have studied something at university, but then they want to go and study, you know, go on and do something different from their degree. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely something that we're finding a lot of um, as part of these webinars. Now, India, something a little bit different about you. So you're currently studying for a degree apprenticeship at Birmingham City. So just tell everybody a bit about the degree apprenticeships and what subject are you, are you actually studying? So I'm studying a uh, broadcast engineering and media systems uh, degree at the moment at Birmingham City University. So we, with my degree apprenticeship, we do blocks of placement and blocks of university that are separate to each other. So traditionally in apprenticeships, you'll tend to do four days a week at work and then a week with the uh, education provider. But this, I find that this apprenticeship is really well structured in that it separates the uni and the work. Yeah. So, so what does what does your week look like then? Do you spend days in at university or when everything's back to normal? How how does it all work? When how you structure your day to day life? So, if I'm uh, if it's a placement block, then I'll be in work, um, and I'll be doing whatever it is that I'm doing on placement. Placements vary quite a lot because yeah. broadcast engineering covers a huge. Uh, range of jobs really it's not it's quite a difficult job to try and explain yeah. um but if it's uni then we're we're different to most uni students where we're in pretty much nine to five in the week that we're there apart from mm -hmm. on our Fridays where we'll be there until lunchtime because we have to travel back um but yeah so we're not we don't live in student halls or anything like that we get put up in accommodation on a weekly basis um and yeah that's that's kind of a week in each each setting and and how long just staying with you India before I move on to the other to the other grads so how long um, will it take to actually get your degree um your degree qualification so I am working towards a bachelor's degree and it will be the same amount of time as if I was to go to university and do a bachelor's degree so my course is three years um and because of that it's why we have to do so much uh, uni time in such a short amount of time because of trying to fit a three-year degree around placements and training as well but in the same time period 
Perfect. Thank you very much, India. That's really interesting to find out some more about degree apprenticeships. Um, now, moving on to your current roles at the BBC. So, Ian, I'm going to go back to you. If you could just tell um, the viewers just a little bit more about how long you've been at the BBC and your current role. Sure. So I've only been at the BBC since September. So I joined the Research and Development Graduate Scheme. Um, I was in this position last year. Um, and uh, sorry, is in the position people watching this are in. Um, yeah, so I'm in the, it's kind of split, it's a two year place, a two year scheme split into three eight month placements. Yeah. So I'm in, just come to the end of my first eight month placement. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just come to the end of my first project. Super. I think we're going to find out a little bit more about that project later on. But what, when, where's your next placement based, then, Ian? Is it in a different department or what, what's the next? What's next? Yeah. Next? It'll be a different department within research and development. So just going through the process of that right now, I've um, kind of chosen what one I'd like to do and then we'll see what everyone wants to do and work out a nice compromise for everybody. Fantastic. Is that is that how it works then? Do you get to choose which placement you want to go on next or is it a bit between what the BBC needs as, as, a, as a business and obviously what, you're, what you would like to do? Yeah, it's, it's a balance of those things. It's, it's seeing uh, what's needed, what you'd like to do and seeing if, yeah, what the other graduates want to do as well and seeing if everyone can be made happy. I think there's an algorithm for it that someone's worked out, so. <laughs> the algorithm of happiness, I could do with that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Sarah, on to you. So how long have you been at BBC and what is your role? Um, I've been at the BBC for just over 18 months. So I'm like in my final placement or like rotation of the scheme. So I think it's similar to Ian where we have like four rotations within two years. Um, so yeah, I'm coming up to the end of that now. Um, so yeah. Fantastic. And on to you, um, Sebastian, last but not least. Um, so like Ian, I'm also on the Research and Development Graduate Scheme. Um, however, I joined in 2019. So I've actually seen the office, which was quite exciting once upon a time. Um, so as Ian mentioned, within the grad scheme, we do three different placements of eight months each within wildly different teams within research and development. Um, I'm currently on my third and final one of those placements, um, after which I will have to work out where in uh, R&D I want to spend the rest of my days, which sounds more ominous than I mean it to be. <laughs> Yeah, it does, that does sound rather um, upsetting that spending the rest of your days. So how does it how does it work then, Sebastian? So you, are you guaranteed a role after the graduate scheme, after the graduate programme's finished? And is that yes. the same for everybody? So at least within R&D, um, it's very much kind of a traineeship, more than a, a scheme that you finish and then move on and have to apply for a new job. So you your first project in R&D is chosen for you uh, based on your background to give you something introduce you to R&D and give you something that would be vaguely familiar to you. And then as Ian says, you could, there are a list of projects that come out and you sort of apply for the next few, but there's a relatively small graduate cohort each year. So there's kind of discussion that goes on around who would go on to which particular project, who would be best suited, what you would learn, um, and also what the business needs are. Although um, projects are usually only put forwards if they actually fulfill the business needs. So there's it's quite a friendly and interesting process to go through um, and then yeah once you choose your final project usually in an area of interest or somewhere that you'd actually like to work long term and then when you finish the uh, when you finish the graduate scheme um, I just said we go on an additional three-month placement um, anywhere else in the BBC that we can organize um, to increase our well our networking get some contacts and just kind of experience life outside of R&D before moving on to our final team. I like that. So is, is that, yeah. yeah, is that the same for every scheme then? I don't know if Sebastian, if you can answer this, or, or is this just for R&D? I'm getting nods and shakes, yeah, just, just for R&D. Oh, that's a really good idea. So have you got any ideas, Sebastian, where you're going to go for the three months? Um, so I'm currently trying to organise um, a placement with the Natural History Unit. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know what it's going to be at this point or what it would involve. Um, and probably can't say any specifics yeah. but yeah it's it would be really really quite exciting just because it would be so wildly different to what I'm currently doing but it would be interesting to go in view or work in that from a technological standpoint as well yeah 
Sebastian, then do you, sorry, do you have to like um like officially apply for that then as if you were applying for a job or do you just kind of, has it an internal chat that you get to have? How does that work? Um, so the, the three-month placement is whatever we can organise, basically. Right. There are a number of departments around the BBC which R&D has very, very close links with. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you haven't organised something more major, it's very easy to kind of pick one of those teams and go and work with for three months to get that experience. But yeah. um, we had, there was a person a couple of years above me in the graduate scheme who went and worked in um, New Delhi for the BBC World Service for hers. Oh, so it really is whatever you can organise. Nobody's asked me the if they want to come into recruitment. You know, always oh, <laughs> <laughs> recruitment, Sebastian. You know, it's an exciting world recruiting people. You know, always. I'd be there, love, in a heartbeat. You know me. I'd be there, right hand woman to you. <laughs> um, I'd go Springwatch. I know Sebastian. We've got. A, you're going to talk about a project with Springwatch, but that is one of my favourite ever pro- programs on the BBC. So what about the Chris Packham. Oh, Monty Don Gad as well. Monty Don. <laughs> that remind as well. So if you can get me in, Mark, so I can meet <laughs> Monty. Right, guys, what we're going to do, India, I think we touched upon your role a little bit um, earlier on. So we're going to now move on and then come back to you about your projects and things like that and your experiences so far, if you don't mind. Um, just a little bit of background knowledge as well for you guys who are watching the webinar and um, mentioned that Mark and Rachel have been working really hard on their hub and um, we've got lots of brand new content on there at the moment and um, so things like the culture at the BBC, application processes, some really cool videos which are worth a watch um, and just remember all of this combined as, as well as watching this webinar will help you put in a really good quality application to the BBC's either internships or graduate opportunities um, which are open so make sure you apply. Yes? Me? You my love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah Mark I want to talk to you if that's okay about the application process. Um, So we all know obviously the world that we live in at the moment it's the application process might have changed slightly. So anyone that is thinking about applying to you guys after this session, what can they expect? It's a very good question. Yes, we have had some new challenges this year. Um, And I think um, my approach to this has been sort of, what can we do to make an experience, you know, make the experience feel at least uh, interactive a little bit so you get some feedback from the experience that you're going to have and, and what we're going to do. So there's a couple of different approaches that I've taken this year. Um, Again, I'll I'll touch on them because there there are slight differences. So the editorial schemes, um, production and journalism, the way that that process works is the sort of an application process, which includes a video interview. Um, For the tech schemes, the engineering design and tech schemes that that we're talking about today, we're actually um, using a gamification tool as part of this. So there's an application form. Um, that we've bespoke built. So my team have built those uh, forms, which will ask you about yourself. So the standard things that you'd expect, you know, um, information about who you are, what you've studied, potentially about some of the modules that you've studied um, and whether you'd be right for each of the schemes. So the the questionnaires are designed to sort of help make sure that we can see what your best fit is. Um, The R&D form goes a little bit further because Graham, the uh, hiring manager for that, has also set a little research task as part of his application form um, where you'll go through and there's a bit of a multiple choice question where you'll go, we want you to take a look at the R&D website and try and answer these multiple choice questions in the application form. So for R&D this year and um, working with Graham, he's sort of come up with a, something a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but for all of the guys, including the software roles and the broadcast roles here, um, we're going to use this uh, game this year. And the provider, you know, is, is not a secret, it's a company called Arctic Shores. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, they use some psychometric games um, that um, we'd ask our applicants to go through. And what that does is it sort of maps out using some very uh, clever recruitment psychology, sort of your best fit for these positions. And we've worked with Arctic Shores to sort of create like a BBC fit model. And it sort of helps us to try and find the best people for BBC. So it might feel a little bit weird and it's definitely something that I think is more common now than it has been, but to do a game as part of your recruitment process might feel a bit weird. You go, how does this relate to anything that I'm doing? (laughs) Um, And again, yeah, it's the employment psychology behind all of that. It's it's, it's, uh, actually really interesting and very, very complicated sometimes as well. But um, the games themselves should be really enjoyable. They should feel fun and they should feel interactive. The 
The system itself also sends you a feedback report. So once you've completed the game, you'll actually get an, a, a report back to yourself and emailed out to you, which will tell you more about how you've got on with that and what it will be. It won't be sort of a pass fail. You've passed, you failed. It doesn't do that. It will no. just tell you how you have performed as part of that process and give you some sort of things that you can learn from 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 your experience on the game so everybody that applies to a technology engineering or broadcasting role um, will end up with one of these uh sort of arctic shores reports about how they've got on with their performance in their game Matt, just a question there sorry interrupting if say for example you did apply uh, to an r&d role but because of the results of that um gamification test you all as BBC thought that that candidate would be better somewhere else. Do you suggest that or does that so, um, happen? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I think that we do sort of do some talent polling. We go, actually, some candidates here, but um, I think the way that we would tend to do it is people can apply to more than one role anyway so okay. we encourage people it sounds like a, a sort of strange thing to say isn't it really if you're interested in more than one of our schemes we actually are, we are a company that allows you to apply for more than one mm-hmm. as you move through the process um and say you're selected for interview for both we might then come to you and go right which one are you most interested in because you do yeah. eventually have to make a choice yeah um, but if you were interested in r&d and software for example mm-hmm. at the bbc you can apply to both schemes and eventually if you're successful for both, for both we would go right what, what do you want to do yeah um, because they ultimately have to end up picking one of them so yeah it's a good question so i would encourage people to say actually if you're interested in more than one of them to to explore both Mm. Um, you know obviously it's important to sort of follow the things that you're most interested in but you know what people can be interested in more than one thing and we're, we're happy to accept applicants from from candidates in more than one area and I think that's the thing as well you know just with the examples that you know Sebastian Ian you know and Sarah you go and you do you can study one thing and then you know have a career in something completely different and might not even realize that that was your career path and you're going to end up there so so yeah that's great that you know you can put multiple applications in so put you know don't just put your all your eggs in one basket as the saying goes and mm. um, so and then that's the whole process then Mark. Yeah, that- yeah, that's for the game so what happened what happens then so what happens then is we work really really closely with the business then at this point so we've got the managers for the programs so we work with some people in the bbc academy that sort of yeah. look after the training and development for people on some of our higher apprenticeships and some of the training schemes have have sort of like a training scheme manager um, but we've also got the hiring managers for the different business areas. So I'll, I'll, I'll hop back to um, to Graham a little bit, who looks after the R&D um, processes. So me and Graham have worked really closely together to make sure that his application form is going to work for, for his work. And he's sort of come up with the research plan that we've got together. Um, we'll do the game and me and Graham will work with everybody to make sure that we've shortlisted together on, on the candidates that make it through. And then this year there will be some, I think we're still focusing on the virtual world at this moment in time. So there'll be yeah. some kind of assessments via Zoom, I think at the moment. Mm-hmm. And we are making sure that we can adapt our processes to what suits people best. It doesn't mean that Zoom is gonna work for everybody. If we have to do telephone calls or we do a different piece of technology or we um, approach the application process so that we can adapt things at various stages based on you know what people need because we want it to be open and accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, if I was to give you the typical typical next bit, it will probably be a meeting with the scheme manager or the line manager for that process where we do a couple of activities. It could be presenting us back an idea and then we ask you some questions about it. Yeah. Um, and the interview questions we ask are largely strength based. So. We will ask some competency questions and competency questions are the ones that people are most used to, which are, give me an example of a time you've done this thing. Mm, We do have a few of those. Yeah. You'll also see questions where we go, imagine that you're doing this, what would you do? So you don't ever have had to have done it before in order to give us an answer. And that's one of our strengths type questions. So if you're given a question, which is, can you tell us what you would do or how you would approach something? you don't always have to have an example in order to give us a good answer. So it's worth listening out for the type of question you're being asked as well, because there will be a few different types of interview questions. We call it our blended interview approach, where we use a mixture of strengths and competencies. Brilliant. Um, that all sounds good. What I wanted to kind of move, move to next uh, is kind of speaking to the grads and really kind of getting a bit of a hint and tip from them on, you know, your experience and what advice could you give to anyone, again, thinking about applying to the BBC um, after this session? So, um, Ian, coming to you, what would your hint and, t- hint and tip be? Uh, I'd say for R&D, um, 
it would be really good to just showcase your your creativity and your personality. Um, I know after my after my interview with R and D, I came away thinking that either went really well or really badly, and mostly down to whether or not I came across well. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, obviously that ended up paying off for me, and I think that is partially because I, um, you know, was wasn't afraid to show who who I was, and yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you said, um, you know, show off your creativity, was there a particular example that you gave to kind of show that skill off? Yeah, well, I mean, um, while I studied computer science and electrical engineering, I was always interested in creative applications of that. So I had sought out some, I'd done some work on uh, making props uh, for a film. Oh, Um, cool. Right. Um, I got involved in like a, an art project as well, making some uh, animatronics and robotics and things like that. So, yeah, um, yeah I think if you've got the, the time between now uh, or if you've done any of that stuff and you're applying, then it's, it's always good to kind of seek out some more um, creative applications of what you do as well. 100%. And I think the audience is going to probably know what I'm going to say next, you know, always think outside the box when it comes to, you know, extra creative curricular kind of activities you know again at grad we always push being part of a stem society or anything else that you can do outside of your degree you know really do try and get involved with it be you know creative uh, something creative you know arts or crafts and things like that right through to you know something that really kind of reflects the degree you're studying you know it's definitely beneficial to do that and remember you know what i'm going to say again if you're part of a stem society uh, get involved drop my colleague georgia an email uh, because we can give you a free hub on the society page and we can get lots of likes from our employers and um, sebastian coming to you next um sure so this is one that i think may sound a little generic at first okay. but specifically for r d just it's really really important to make sure your passion for what you're doing comes across mm-hmm. um and not just like you know oh, I've always wanted to do this exact bit of work all of my life. But, for um, you know, I clearly made them really impressed with just how much I loved lasers. Because I, at the time, that was my entire life. I spent you know, eight hours a day in a lab doing that. And it was not just the passion for, like, the work you're doing, but the sort of inquire, like, having an inquiring mind around that passion and just asking questions and wanting to know more about it and do better, which is more important almost than a lot of the hard skills that R&D would look for. Because if you're a very creative, you know, if you're someone who's a very creative problem solver and you're really passionate about the work that you do, it's quite e- relatively easy to teach you how to code, for example, compared mm. to if you can code, but you really don't care about what you're doing. Yeah. By bringing that passion out is quite difficult. And R&D really thrives on the fact that there's 200 very passionate people in that department. Oh, yeah. I think that's the thing, you know, passion is, you know, is, is the key bit to, you know, a good recipe, isn't it? Because if you've got that, you've got the enthusiasm, the will to, to find out, you know, what, what the future is of whatever you're doing. So brilliant. That's, that's a really good one. Sarah, how about you? Um, yeah, well, I totally agree with Sassy and Ian about like passion, creativity, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I'd say like for me, it was like just trying not to stress about not fitting the criteria that they lay out like in the job spec and stuff like that. Like when I first read software engineering graduate scheme, like job listing online, mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, like, I can't do this. I'm not, I haven't studied computer science and like, I haven't been doing it for that long. I've just been doing it in my spare time, like that kind of stuff. And I was just, am I, I just didn't think I was capable of it, but I was like, well, I'll give it a go anyway, because yeah. it sounds really cool. And I really want to, like, I'll just, why not? And so I applied and then I just kept getting through this level. And I was like, wow, this is really funny. <laughs> how, am I, how am I getting through all the stages? Um, and I think at the end of the day, like, they will overlook things. Like, they don't need you to know everything. I mean, that's the whole point of the grad scheme is that you're there to learn. And as long as you're, like, 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 you know, you said like passionate and you've got some creativity or something going on and you're interested in it and keen to learn, like they'll overlook loads of stuff, <laughs> which they definitely did for me. Um, so, yeah. 
So many good points there, though. But Sarah, you literally are, you know, exactly what Ian and Sebastian said. You obviously, you've got the passion and you, you gave a good example of that. You know, you're creative enough to think, I'm going to think outside the box and I'm going to chuck an application in anyway. So it's absolute win-win. So it's a perfect example of all those hints and tips. India, how about you? Um, yeah, I mean, again, I'd agree with everything that's been said before that. I, much like Sarah, just kind of thought, oh, I'll apply for this and see what happens and kept on getting further and further. And here I am now. Um, I think my biggest tip would be to just be yourself. Mm-hmm. One thing I found was that when you, you know, you're applying for a job for a really big corporation, you kind of think, oh, you know, silly things like, am I going to have to wear a suit to work every day? Am I going to have to be very very professional and kind of you know hide bits of me to fit this kind of like corporate Mm. person um but I found that working for the BBC they really encourage you to just be yourself um you know from what you wear to how you know the colors you want your hair or or just you know just your character as well I think definitely don't stress about trying to fit into a certain type of person just be yourself and Mm you'll be absolutely fine yeah I think that's a good point because I think a lot of students you know when I speak to them have you know preconceptions about working for a a huge company and you know is it going to be really corporate is it going to be you know am I going to fit in do I have to change you know but a lot of companies now you know they're they're trying to shake off that stigma almost and you know the one everyone and anyone and to be yourself because you can't go to work every day and pretend to be someone else and you know you won't enjoy it will you so so yeah that's a really good point and Mark, I want to come back to you if that's okay, just um, regarding kind of summing up what everyone's just said there and really giving the audience an idea of what your ideal candidate would be. But it sounds as though you haven't really got one. I'd agree, Jess. Yeah, I don't think we really have. Um, do you know the big the big thing for me this year? And you know, I, I joined the BBC back in January 2020. It is six weeks in the office and I've worked from home for the rest of the time. And just listening to India talk then about, you know, sort of, I remember the, I was in the office the first few weeks and I bought myself some new shirts and some nice <laughs> shoes. Do you know what? I haven't worn shoes actually. To, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got my, I've got no shoes on now. You know, I've not worn <laughs> shoes for nearly a year at work. It's bizarre, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I'll ever be able to wear shoes again. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's one of those things that from a candidate perspective, I think the BBC from the outside feels like such a different, you know, such a huge sort of organisation and it, fe- yeah. it almost feels... It feels almost like there's no way the BBC will will pick me or will be for me. Um, but I would encourage anybody who sort of may even feels like, I don't know if the BBC is going to be quite right for me. You know what? I would probably encourage you to apply because you might be very, very surprised. Mm. Um, the organisation is very, you know, very, very open to different ideas. And it has to be, I mean, to be around for the length of time the BBC has been around for, you know, the next generation of content that we have to create, you know, the next generation of license fee, potential license fee payers are, you know, the people leaving uni in the next few years and you go, well, actually, what am I getting out of the BBC? You know, we speak to to lots of people as part of my job and they go, oh, I don't know if I watch the BBC, what do I watch the BBC for? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all of us on this call will go, do you know what, there's probably a mixture of people that probably feel like they don't get anything out of the BBC content that they're watching, you know, but you'd be very, very surprised about what we actually do. Everything from BBC Bite Size for people that we've done for working with schools this year from home and supporting teachers, um, all of the local radio station opportunities that, that we have and sort of how local the BBC can feel, even though it feels like often you're like, oh, BBC's all London, isn't it? It's actually very local and you'll see a lot more of that. A lot of these positions are going to be coming out to Birmingham and Salford and Glasgow, the stuff in Ireland this year as well, in Belfast, Cardiff, you know, you'll see a lot more stuff outside of London as well. So I think people are thinking, you know what, the BBC feels like a very London-centric, very sort of, um, you know, very posh, very British sort of culture. I think, yes, there is, you know, it'd be silly of me to say that the BBC doesn't have elements of that, Um, but the future of the BBC isn't built around that. And the people that we're looking to recruit now will be shaping the direction of the BBC for the next, you know, the hundred years that are up again that we're facing next. So people who maybe don't feel the BBC is for them, we probably want you to come and work here because yeah. you're going to be the future of what we're looking to do. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. There isn't probably a standard candidate. And you know what? The more you think, I don't know if the BBC is for me, the more I probably want you to apply. Brilliant. Yeah. 
go for it there you are I, I remember your first week at the BBC Mark and you went on your lunch break and you rang me it was must have been about quarter past one and you were like I am it <laughs> BBC and I was like flipping it Mark and um, right guys I want to now move on to learning and development mm-hmm. so really personal points of view now if we can and um, so I want to know a little bit about what piece of training that you've received did you enjoy the most and what did you gain from it and I'm going to start with you India um, so we, on my course, we do a fair bit of training at Woodnorton, um, which is the BBC's training facility. And if you're there, you'll hear a lot about it. Um, it's a training facility that's been used for ages. Uh, my dad is ex-BBC and I grew up listening to the stories that he was telling about, you know, the experiences he was having at Woodnorton. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that is... We've done um, some studio training. So although I'm an engineer and I kind of take care of the stuff behind the scenes, um, we did all kind of get the chance to work in the studio as camera operators, vision mixer operators, lighting operators and stuff. So which I think is actually a really useful thing because I think one, what's good for anyone really, even if it's not what your job is, it's always good to have an idea of what other people are doing because it can make your life a bit easier as well. Um, If you can understand the job, it can kind of, you, you can understand what they're doing. They can understand what you're doing. It means that communication is a lot better and you can kind of get to the same point that you want to get to a lot quicker and a lot easier. And if you're coming from two different ends of the stick and completely what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think that training was perhaps my favourite because it was a chance to work in a team. It was during our... India, uh, I think right when got... we started the course. So, Sorry, India, I think we've got some issues with your sound, but I think we've, we think we've grasped what you were going to say. And I think from, from our point of view, yeah, massively. I think if you do other people's roles as well, it just gives you empathy from, from their point of view. They can understand what you're trying to achieve and you can understand what they're trying to achieve. And um, hopefully, India, we can come back to you. I'm just a bit worried about your sound. Yeah. Um, but for now, I'm going to move on to um, Sarah. So, Sarah personal point of view bit of training that you've had enjoyed the most and what do you think you gained from it um so I have done quite a few courses now but I think the one that I enjoyed the most was the react um, academy course um okay. I don't know if you guys know react it's just a javascript library um very popular well yeah these days and a lot of bbc um yeah very like teams are starting to use it more and more um so yeah I got to do some react training and the instructor was just really cool she was like really fun and yeah we just had a good time and this was like the last training I did in the office I remember it was just like are we going to be allowed back in ever again and like cool so that's like my nice last nice memory of being in the office doing this react training I think it's like the last week or something so maybe that's why but there we go do you think you'll be allowed in back in the office Sarah what are the plans for you to go back in I mean, like, it's it's very, like, vague right now. Yeah. So I don't, hopefully, like, at least we'll be able to go in and have, like, meetings and meetings and things, like, in the next, maybe in a couple of months or so. But no one's actually said anything definite. Um, but, yes. But, yeah, that was a really a good course, and I really learned a lot about React, which has been very useful. <laughs> point, though, because, obviously, your background with... Um, your, your, your music uh, course that you did mm-hmm. and then you know coming into software you know the fact that BBC can offer those kind of upskilling mm. kind of courses you know for anyone that was or is thinking about you know being able to kind of transfer your skills and do something different at the end of your degree you know a lot of the employers now are making sure that you know they can upskill you still with you know additional courses and you know they all want you to be the best you can be so it's good that you you know you've done that and other courses have been offered which is great brilliant thanks Sarah and what I want to do now is uh, move on to the boys so Ian and Sebastian to start off with and Ian you're project that you've been working on and so it's your first project that you're just about to come to an end with can you just tell us a little bit more about that 
Yeah, sure. It's um, quite a technical one, which, as Sebastian mentioned earlier, they'd match to me based on the degree I'd done. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's part of uh, R&D's uh, kind of part of the remit is to look ahead about, you know, 10 years ahead and think about what's the BBC going to be like then, what's society going to be like then, and how are those going to interact? And part of that is building kind of um, media production systems that right now would kind of be hardware and putting those into the cloud as uh, software. Um, and my current project is designing a security system for this these cloud services, mm-hmm. um, which when I saw it, I was a bit like, why are they trusting me to do that? <laughs> um, that sounds important. Um, <laughs> but you know, I've been doing it as part of a team of really experienced developers. Yeah. So at every stage, I've been able to ask ask questions all the time. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, uh, yeah, you know, you come out of a computer science degree thinking that you're quite good and then you realize, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I've learned so much in the last eight months. Um, yeah. I think that's really important though, isn't it? What you learn at university, you know, is one thing and you've gathered all this knowledge together and then it's kind of like starting again, isn't it, at, at an organisation or an employer because you might not know how their systems work and everything else. So it's all a massive learning curve. And you mentioned your team there, Ian. So what, what does your team um, look like? You know, how often do you get together as a team to discuss the project that you're working on? Sure, so there's a couple of... Um... There's like scheduled get-togethers where it's, it's, it's quite normal and, and software teams uh, have what's called stand-ups where you, you talk about the jobs that you've been working on, how they're going, um, and kind of at those points, if you've got any problems, uh, people will just stay behind to talk to you um, and work on it with you. Um, and otherwise, if I if I have an issue, I can message as like a group chat and then someone will just jump on Zoom and go through it with me. Um, so yeah and then there's scheduled you know like coffee breaks and things like that where it's a social occasion to get together as well yeah and how long typically does like this project last for then or is it kind of ongoing because there's so much data to be able to to process you know how how long would a typical project last Uh, for for r&d yeah um yeah that's that's a big a big mix you've got ones that are quite short term you've got ones that are like constantly evolving and Yeah, it's just the nature of research in that way. Perfect. Thanks, Ian. Sebastian, I'm so excited. So your project, your favourite project, Shrubjess, is <laughs> Springwatch. Tell me more. So, um, yeah, I've just started on a new team, uh, excitingly titled the Intelligent Production Tools team. Um, but what we're doing is quite cool. We're working with the team that makes Springwatch, Autumnwatch and Winterwatch. Um, to try and improve their production. So the kind of at the moment, some poor person has to listen through hundreds of hours of and watch through hundreds of hours of streams of spring watch, autumn watch, and winter watch to make sure that there's no sounds that shouldn't be there, like um, you know, aeroplanes flying overhead, cars driving past, producers talking behind a camera, or a deer call going on in the next field. <laughs> doesn't sit very not, well with the audience. That would not be uh, good. <laughs> no. Um, for, um, and it's quite challenging. There's sort of teams of zoologists who have to spend literally days just listening through all of this stuff. Um, so I've just started on a project where I'm going to be developing a machine learning based system um, that we're going to train to detect sounds that shouldn't be there and hopefully flag it up to the producers so that they don't have to listen through it all manually. Wow, that's a good idea. That is pretty cool. See, when you watch these programs, they just don't make stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the team I've joined has just finished doing some stuff where they can automatically detect what the animals are uh, on screen with some sort of machine learning vision uh, yeah. based work. But we haven't touched anything with the sound yet. So my yeah final graduate project, um, I really wanted to do a machine learning based project. So I spoke to the people on the team was like, hey, can you put together a project for me yeah. that you know would involve this sort of thing? They're like, yeah, there's this really important piece of work that we need to do. Um, so I'm yeah currently reading a lot of papers about how to detect sounds with and you know learning about machine learning um so, so when will when will this be brought into fruition then so if i'm watching what are we in now if i'm watching summer watch can i can i say sebastian i've met him and he's worked on this um so 
it's likely that the stuff I'm building won't hit it until probably latter, sort of much later in this year. So maybe autumn watch, winter watch is our target mm -hmm. um, for this bit of pro uh, particular project. Um, but if you if you, if it's something that people are interested in, um, if you go on the BBC Research and Development blog site, there's a couple of really interesting bits of information about like the video work they've done um, with kind of the detection of different animals, and then hopefully in about eight months' time, there'll be a really interesting bit of work, uh, you know, a bit of information about the audio work that I've been working on yeah. um, with detection of sounds and if it works particularly well and I've got enough time, maybe animal detection based on sound as well. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, I need to uh, I need to head off. I've got something on, but uh, yeah, no, that's great, fine. great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Ian. Take care. Right. Bye. 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 Um, Sarah, my screen keeps moving around. Sarah, you were there, now you're there. <laughs> so your project is um, based on coronavirus. You did send me a link to this and it was very interesting. Can you exp just explain to the viewers what the project included? Um, so yeah, I, I basically did a rotation in a news team um, between March and September last year, which is when a lot of coronavirus stuff was in the news and still is. But, um, so we make sort of like interactive news pieces. So anything that's a bit more than like text and pictures, like we create interactive news stories in that team. Um, so I got to like work on a relatively artsy kind of news story, which is like visualizing like the like the deaths and cases um, around the world. Um, I could share my screen, or is that really unorthodox? Is that well, too dangerous? I'm just thinking about technology, but what we'll do is I've got the link, um, Sarah, so we'll put it on the BBC um, hub on Gradcracker. Yeah. Um, okay, so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I, otherwise I'm going to have to describe it. Which is <laughs> it's just like... It's an audiovisual thing. So there's like these flowers that grow and the petals represent like the cases. And like I I'm, I got to use like my music background as well to yeah. do the, yeah. um, there's like a sonification, like an audio part to it that yeah. represents the data. So I got to like compose some music that would be like each death or whatever would trigger like a toll, or like a synth or like something. So it's got like, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> oh, I wanna watch that now. Yeah, that's live as soon as yeah. I'll, I'll put that on the hub, Sarah, but I could definitely see when um, you sent that link before the webinar, the, your your music talent came out in, in that, in that um, the, you know, the graphic and everything else. Um, and yeah, really, really interesting. So we'll, we'll share that with you guys and um, the audience afterwards. Um, India, I'm hoping your sounds a little bit better, my love, now. So if it is your project base, is it in, in CNN, on CNN? Um, so we... India, I'm going to stop right. you. Your, your Sam's not great still. So what we'll do is, I don't know if you can hear me. What, what we'll do is we'll go back to... Um, I was involved in a project when I was on placement. Is it still bad? It is still bad in dear. Oh, I'll not... try now. Is that any better? Oh, maybe. Go for it. What we'll do, guys, is we'll come back to India. And I know all about India's projects and things like that. So what we'll still do... still not great. No. Oh. Hello? Can you hear me now? Yeah. It's... Yeah. Hi. If I mute India now, bless her, I know that sounds a bit rude, but how are you doing now? India's gone. So what <laughs> we'll do is, technology, um, what we'll do is we'll come back to India. We know about all her projects that she's been involved in, a really good project with CNN. Yeah. Um, which we'll, we'll touch upon a little bit later on. What we'll do is we'll put India's um, profile on Gradcracker as well, just to make sure that her experiences um, are known to you, the audience. So yeah, we'll move on slightly now. And I think we're going to talk about the social aspects um, that everybody's enjoyed at the BBC so far. Yeah, I know Ian touched upon it as well when he mentioned about, you know, 
kind of getting together for coffees and, and group chats on Zoom and things like that. Um, but Sebastian, what kind of social aspect? Because I know you've had the luxury of being in the office and obviously working remotely. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us a bit about the social aspects of your role so far? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, back when we were in the office, yeah. I'll just start on this because hopefully this will be an experience which One new joiners will be able to actually have. Um, within uh, research and development, we had a whole variety of lunchtime and after work clubs, which yeah. is really weird to have for such a small department, but it was, really, it was great fun. So I used to play rugby on lunchtime sometimes. We'd have after work board games. There were really? cinema clubs, hiking clubs, climbing clubs, all sorts of different things that people used to do at lunchtimes and after work in the uh, R&D office and also one of the really cool bits about being in R&D is we've got basically one of every bit of consumer tech that yeah. you know we need to play with hanging around so there's <laughs> sort of a room with a big box of virtual reality headsets oh, um, yeah. which you know yeah play with for research purposes um, <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of fun stuff like that um, and since I mean since we've all had to move online we have well my team has um, there's a coffee chat that you can log into every morning oh. so, you know quite often I'm not quite awake enough to uh, get along <laughs> to that but it's occasionally quite nice just to chat to people and um, we have with uh, the rest of my graduate cohort we have semi-regular meetups on zoom um, after work and things at the moment and then it's fairly regular kind of lunchtime or coffee chats that are just they're not compulsory no one likes you know, properly organized fun and being forced to sit on Zoom for another half hour if you've already been on there all day. But it's nice just that they're open, people can just turn up and chat for a bit, um, which is very pleasant. Um, we also were running a bunch of online uh, board game clubs uh, on lunchtimes and after work as well, because that's a, you know, relatively easy thing to do online compared to, say, hiking. <laughs> or rugby. Or rugby. That's cool, though. I like that, Sebastian. You know, and it's nice, isn't it, that that you you can get the chance to still network, still kind of create a bit of friendship relationships with everyone. And yeah, it's great. And um, Sarah, how about you? Have you had any social experiences so far? No, no, yeah, no. I <laughs> um, I've done. I used to like back in the pre-COVID times. I would do like football on lunch, like, and I joined a choir. There's like some choir like the BBC choir, but not the like official one, just official. the staff one. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just so, there's loads of stuff going on, loads of events. I got, I, I went to quite a lot of like women in STEM stuff. That's a really strong network. That's really, really, really great. And everyone's lovely. Um, yeah, you can get involved with so many different things um, if you're up for it, but yeah. So I'm going to ask a bit of a, a cheesy question, but has anyone met anyone exciting, any celebrities? Do you see them like, you know, walking around? Do you see them a lot? I'm so excited. We get like banished to the nerd zone. I don't oh, really yeah. like get to see anyone. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Bastian has, he was nodding. Yeah, I, I, I was notably Craig Charles. Uh, you worked wow. in, uh, presented a lot of radio shows uh, oh. on the floor below where I worked, so which you have to go past to get to the cafe. So I saw him just wandering around quite a few times. Yeah. I've seen a bunch of other kind of relatively big names in kind of news or sport walking around in uh, some of the other buildings over time as well. It's quite cool. It's very weird the first time. Okay. And then you know, yeah. after a little while you're like, oh, I work at the BBC and so do these people. So... <laughs> Be sly enough. It would be like that as well. Like, Calla, Calla, Calla. Like, just play it cool, play it cool. I'm not cool. Um, so next I want to talk about the, the future. I feel like I'm ignoring India and I apologise if I am. I'll ask to unmute. Is she back? Are you back? India, are you there, my love? I am. Fab, yes. Brilliant. Woo. <laughs> Do you want to add anything to that? Have you seen you? Well, first of all, I've seen her on Famous. And two, what's the social aspects like? Um, so one, well, have I seen anyone? I luckily in my first placement got to sit in with Annie Mack on one of her radio shows. So that was quite fun. Um, I've also repaired an inner monitor for Matt Taylor, one of the weather presenters. Um, ear monitor, did you say? Yeah, the inner monitor. So what they like listen to the to the producers and stuff while they're um, presenting. Uh, but yeah, again, it's just seeing because I'm based in. Uh, 
NBH in London. So I've had the chance to see quite a lot of people. Um, in terms of the social aspects, again, luckily I joined in 2019. So I had a little bit of time in the office. Yeah. Um, and again, it was kind of, you'd find people in the department, you'd go for lunch together perhaps, or, you know, the pub after work. Um, yeah. But even even now we've kind of had the occasional Zoom meeting um, across cohorts for me. So like the apprentices yeah. in the year below me on the same course, mm-hmm. we'd kind of do a Zoom call together just to kind of interact with each other because none of us are really getting any in-office time at the moment. Yeah. Oh, that'll be nice as well. I suppose you're, you'll act as a bit of a mentor for the people who are, you know, younger than you. On the yeah. Other as well, in the last years. Um, brilliant. That all sounds good. Just going to um, kind of move on slightly. Sarah, I'm going to ask you about your future. And then Sebastian, I'm going to come to you about the key benefits uh, of the BBC. So Sarah, coming back to you, what is your future looking like? Have you got a plan yet? This is like the hardest question. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Um, yeah, I hopefully have a future. Um, you don't like, have a future, Sarah. <laughs> we have a future. Um, so in September, my I'll finish the grad scheme, and then yeah. I will hopefully uh, get a nice, more permanent job in one of the teams somewhere. I mean, I am contractually have to get a job somewhere <laughs> if um, if I want. Um, but yes. So and then after that, I guess I can hopefully, if I enjoy that, I can start making plans of becoming like more senior software engineer or you know whatever I think it's quite easy to move around if I maybe I'll change my mind and become a journalist (laughs) maybe I will (laughs) you never know at least exactly at least you've got the options exactly want to wake up and become become a journalist you're in the best place aren't you yeah you could be on there Sarah exactly get on the screen you never know (laughs) And Sebastian, I'm going to come to you about the key benefits um, on offer at the BBC. What would you say that is? Um, so one of the things I kind of highlight above and beyond everything else would be the culture. It's a really weird and interesting organisation to work for. Um, so I very briefly uh, worked in much more corporate uh, tech land before coming to the okay. BBC. And because the BBC is a public service organisation and really because of there's so much scrutiny of it it has to exist as this paragon of how a british business should run so they just the amount of care for every individual as an employee is really really high everyone who works there and this is kind of part of getting in the bbc is really passionate about the bbc its mission and its values and it just creates a really wonderful environment where everyone is focused on what they're doing because they want it to succeed and they're happy about it. And they're also being provided a really good working environment in which to do all of this stuff in, you know, nice locations with not well, very, very reasonable hours. I've had um, people on my team, uh, well, senior members of my team back in, you know, office time tell me at half past five, why am you still in that chair? Go home. You know, <laughs> they're like, oh, but I'm just trying to finish this. It's like, no, you finish this on our time tomorrow. You go and have your evening. And it's yeah. just a real level of ha- like care for people's lives that yeah. you um, that you get while working there. And, you know, pretty decent holiday and everything else as well along with it. Nicely done. I think that that's a lovely way to hand it over. Yeah, what more could you ask for? So now I want to just go around the room and just get a quick top fact about the BBC. So let's make them snappy. Sarah, I'm going to start with you. What is your key fact about the BBC that people might not know about? Um, I was sort of going to say something about what like Sebastian just said, that the, the work-life balance is like really great. Mm. Am I allowed to still use that? <laughs> you can, yeah. I'll let you have that one. <laughs> Sebastian, you're not allowed to say something that you've just said. <laughs> something new, please. Um, the BBC is way bigger than I thought it was. We've got like 22,000 full-time employees and I think it's 35,500 total people work for the BBC worldwide. Um, it's by far the world's largest broadcaster. That, that, yeah, it's just madness, isn't it? How many people work for the BBC? Um, India? Um, oh, one of my interesting facts. Um, oh. You might have to come back to me on this one. You can, my love, yeah. 
Mark, have you got one for me? Don't let me down, Mark. You know what? It's a weird one, but when you're watching the news and you're watching people sort of read the news to you, they can a lot of the time they're controlling their own auto cue with their pedal underneath the desk. Are they? The guys in the Midlands today, I know not everybody's going to be in the Midlands, but the guys in the Midlands today, um, often the presenter only has one shoe on because he's controlling the um, the foot pedal with his with just a bare foot or his sock. Or his sock. So um, they're not always wearing shoes on there as well. You've stuff those stand my shoes quite a lot today, haven't I? But yeah, they, don't, yeah. they don't even always wear shoes when they're on the telly. They're sort of playing with the pedal and messing with the auto cue. I've go. got a question actually, and I saw a picture, and I can't remember where I saw it, I think it was on social media somewhere, and there was um, a news lady sat at a desk, which is actually just, everything behind is just a green screen, yeah, whereas when there. you're watching the news, <laughs> it looks like a live office behind, is that not, not yeah, no live office, mate, no, 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 um, <laughs> if you look, it'll never change, all those people have sat in those, uh, sat in those seats doing that work for, for years, no, there's nobody there, it's, it's <laughs> oh my god, watched it god those people are really good out there you know there's no arguments going on there's no one throwing anything yeah. they're all on the best behavior yeah most, <laughs> most of that stuff is, is it's just a screen i mean i guess there are some offices where there's people That's moving it. around the background but the ones that most of the time when you're watching in the background of a uh, of, of the news or something like that it's just a screen just norm, normal normal companies don't argue and throw <laughs> things around like, like me and you do at grad cracker and scream at you across the office jessica and um, mark i'll let you into a secret i'm actually shoeless and wearing unicorn slippers it's perfect it's the best way to work exactly that's what i think as well who needs a shoe um right guys thank you very much india did you have a fact i don't want to leave you out uh, yeah, it's a bit of an old one, but where New Broadcasting House was built onto Old Broadcasting House, um, yeah. there's a discrepancy in the size of the floors. So you can get a lift from floor five of, broadcast of Old Broadcasting House to floor five of New Broadcasting House, and it takes you about seven inches. Never. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, see, that was well worth, worth a wait. Thank <laughs> you very much for that, India. And sorry that we lost you halfway through, my love, but at least you're back That's all right. Now. Um, and yes, yeah, so thanks guys for joining us today. It's been an absolute brilliant insight into the BBC. We've learned a lot, haven't we, Jessica, as we always do on these webinars. And I hope you have as well the audience. Don't forget, like me and Mark were saying at the beginning, um, Mark, Mark, sorry, the audience, Mark, myself and Mark were saying at the beginning of the webinar about um, the fact that the BBC is open to applications. So get your applications in via the BBC Hub on Gradcracker. Don't, also, don't forget that you can re-watch this webinar tomorrow, so it'll be on as a as a winner, as I would say, on the BBC Hub, and then we'll break it down into bite-sized chunks for you and your friends, and that will be live next week. So thanks very much for, very much for joining us today. Um, next week, Jessica and myself are joined by Arm. So did you know that 70% of, of the global population actually use Arm technology? I didn't know that, but next week you can find out a lot more. So thanks everybody for joining us today. We can hopefully see you next week and see you all soon. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.